Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, we're going to take tonight, just one chapter. Um, and it's the Song of Moses. We talked about this last week and said that one of the things that, uh, uh, last kind of thing that uh, God is going to ask of Moses as a leader of the nation of Israel is to write a song. And uh, so we're going to read about that tonight here. But we see that the congregation Moses had been leading uh, would, unfortunately, after his departure, would rebel against the Lord and turn their backs on the Lord, not slightly, but absolutely flat-out rebellion. I mean, just sold out completely, walked away, I mean, falling off a cliff. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just a subtle walk away. It was a complete abandonment in many respects. And in, so in light of this, the Lord said to Moses, there's one more thing I want you to do before I take you to heaven. Wow, Lord, that's a pretty heavy thing. Can you imagine God saying to you, I'm going to take you to heaven. I got one more thing to do to you. Would you sit there and say, go, well, I'll think about it, God. <laughs> or would you say, absolutely, I'm coming to heaven, let me finish well, and what do you want me to do, and the, and the last thing you want me to do before you take me to heaven, and he says, I want you to write a song and teach it to the people so that when they go through times of tribulation and days of difficulty, they will turn back to me. That was the purpose of this song. Now, you all know what that song is, right? Our God is an awesome God, he reigns. I mean, this is, of course, that's the song you think he's going to write, right? Because that's many of our songs today. But that song that we'll see here is the song of Moses, and it starts in Deuteronomy 32 here. And we see an introduction of, in verses 1 through 4 that starts off the song by singing, or he speaks this song to the people, and he starts off by describing the character of God in this song. That's how he starts it off, by saying, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain. The rain is refreshing. My speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb. And as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So he starts off on this song. You wonder what kind of beat had, to, you know, in the, in the percussion world, what kind of beat was this? You know, was it a fast beat? Was it a solemn beat to this? Was it more like, dun, dun, you know, what kind of song you think was put to this than just speaking to it? All we know is he spoke these words. But it's a song, as he says, of Moses. Now, when you sit there, you sit there and he says, this song, this is what you're, who you're singing to. And it says, who is it for? It says, give ear. That means, give ear means listen up. Who are supposed to be listening up? He says, oh heavens. 
So he's sitting there, Moses began by asking for all the attention, not only for, from Israel, but from all of creation was to listen to this. What he's about to sing, about to write and say to them, has to deal with just not only the nation of Israel, but everyone, including the creation, the heavens. I will speak. Oh, hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. What are they going to proclaim? I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. This is about all about God. This is about you remembering God because when you walk away and you rebel and you try to keep God out of your mind while you go back to the world and you live like the world and you go back to like the dog with a vomit and all these things, you're trying to not think of God. So you can go back to that. The song was to draw them back. Because every time they were to re, uh, restate this and reread this or re-sing this to all the generations to come. So that the people would be drawn back to the greatness of our God. That's why we have songs of worship. So we can sing when we can't think of anything else or do anything else. We just get that song in our head and it should draw you back to God. And that's the purpose here that God is calling Moses to do. That this greatness of our God, he then gives this praise to God, this worship to God, both of who God is. He's the rock. He's the righteous. He's the, un, the uh, uh, upright. Is he? I mean, this is who we're worshiping. This is who we should follow. This is who we should come back to. Why? Because we see what does he, God do? He's, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. It's the character of God. That's who we follow. We're not following an organization. We're not following our, even our feelings. We're following the one true great God. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Then we see in verse 5 and 6, we're going to see God's kindness. He says here, it says, They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish. A perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Let's stop right there in verse just 5 and 6 and just look at this. They're just supposed to focus just a, just a witness against these rebellious Nation, you're corrupt, <laughs> you're perverse, you're crooked, you're foolish, you're unwise. Don't you remember? He's your father who, and he purchased you. He made you, he established you. Do you not remember this? But there's sin is even more foolish and unwise in light of the fact that God has done so much for them. It's, it's so much even more enlightening when you look and think how foolish and unwise they are when you stop and say, wow, you're right. I walked away from everything. I walked away from everything that is good and right and the protection and the provision of God. I just walked away from all of that so I could go chase the things of this world. Wow, when you really put it that way, you're right. I'm really foolish. I'm really unwise. 
And then it is uh, foolish and wise to think of that you rebel against the God who has done so much for you. I mean, look at what God has done for you. And you're just going to go chase the nations? Chase idols? Chase, just live based on the flesh? You're going to do that, really? And then verse 7 says, remember the days of old. Remember that term right there. Remember the days of old. It's a very important term right there because consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when they, he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples. According to the number of the children of Israel, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of inheritance. He found him in a desert, do you remember? In a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out his wings and taking them up, carrying them on his wings. So the Lord alone led him. And there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth, of the earth that he might eat and produce the, of the fields. And, had, and he made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinting rock. Curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat and you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. He's just describing such goodness from God and what all the provisions and greatness and, and just abundance for for this people. But he starts by saying in this song, remember the days of old. It means considering. Consider. It, this song is a witness tool to the nation of Israel and to all of creation. It's a witness tool. Just remember what this song is all about because it will draw you back to what, who God is and, who, and what he's done. And many times we have to remember the days of old. Moses reminded Israel of all of God's goodness, all of his kindness to them, all of the things they brought them through. Why? To bring a greater conviction of sin and to remind them of God's love and grace that they, if they would return to him. The song was to remind them as they sing this, as we worship in the songs, those words should draw our attention to him. It should bring conviction of sin, if, if it's in, any, in our life, but it should also bring us back to God's love and grace if we will return to him. Some people think that's just a New Testament thing. No, it's right here. This is a song of Moses. This is what God had intended to Moses to speak and make sure that generation upon generation, as they know he, they were going to rebel, they knew they were going to walk away from him. They were going to turn their backs on God. And God said, ah, just write a song, Moses, to the people and tell them to repeat it over and over to remind them of who God is. Remember, they found him in the desert. God's people were found in a desert. 
Remember the times, do you remember when you felt that desert, that unloved, that uncared for, unimportant, dry, thirsty life of yours? Do you remember? Do you remember what it felt like? Being lost and empty and lonely? Dry? Thirsty? That no one cares? Unimportant? No purpose? In life? You remember those days? Absent of God? And the Lord found you? We were wasting our lives. Wasting our talents. Wasting our time. Wasting our energy. We were just being foolish and wandering in this world. And the Lord found you. All of humanity. God claimed Israel for himself in a unique way. God literally claimed them. But God also claimed us, did he not? Paul says it, tells us where we, we're in his inheritance in Ephesians 1. We're in his inheritance. He found us and he, and he adopted us into the family. How can we understand this truth? Remember, Paul said God proved his love for us. Remember, he proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. The value of an object is known by how much a person is willing to pay for it. What was God willing to pay for it? What was God willing to pay for you? What was it? His own very life. The cross of Calvary shows us how much he loves me. How much he loves you. He was willing to give his life for you. That's how far he was willing to go while you're in the desert. He continues, based on this, how did Israel respond to the God's kindness? With apostasy. We see it right here. But Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, grew fat and, and, and kicked. Who grew fat, who grew thick. You are obese. <laughs> That's a nice song, isn't it? You're obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons and not to God. To gods they did not know. The new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. That's how the nation of Israel responded to all of this goodness, all of this kindness, all of the provision, all the love, all the sacrifice, everything. He rescued you from the desert of your life. And how did they respond? Of the rock who begot you and you were unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you, this God? Again, Jeshurun is, again, a title for Israel. It means the upright one. We see that mentioned in Isaiah 44.2. But this is such a sad story, yet we've all been experienced that, have we not? 
When we're fat and happy, obese in life, got our full, got it all, doing, living life, have everything I want. Got it all lined up. It's, it's according to my plan. Whatever that is, when everything is just peachy, what do we do? We forget God. We don't seek Him. We don't worship Him. We don't pursue Him. Because we're just so consumed by this peachy little world we created. And it lines up for the moment what we feel like. Because I'm happy. Happy, happy, happy. And then when everything goes wrong, then what do you do? As we see in the history of the nation of Israel, you cry out because you realize you have just drifted away. You have backslidden to a degree. And you're right back to where you said you would never do again. And they didn't go just a little bit. They went all the way to the point, as we see in the song, they sacrificed to demons. You've heard me say this many times. You, once, you go, once you give your life to Christ and you go going back, you never go back to where you were. It always gets worse. You'll go farther, deeper, darker. That's exactly what the nation is. They, they rebelled this time. They went back. They started sacrificing the demons. They forsook God. Israel turned to worship the pagans and idols of the nations around them. And they go, well, it's just, it's, just a little, you know, it's just what everyone else is doing in the world. No, no. You don't understand what they're doing in the rest of the world. They're actually worshiping demons. This is not a light subject, what you're doing. It's not something that passes, no big deal. It's, so, you know, it's just a little something. No, no. You're worshiping demons. And that was the dark spiritual reality behind the idols of these nations that God kept warning them. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, 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 no. No, no. Don't do it. How many ways did we learn in the scriptures that God kept saying and warning them, don't do it, and they did it anyway? Because they chose to embrace the dark side of spiritual reality. Now, nobody really says, I'm going to go chase the demon today, unless they're a non-believer. Now, I know some believers who want to think it's like a real big thrill, and let's go chase and find demon-possessed people, because I can't wait to find the next exorcist. I tell people, you're crazy. Why are you pursuing it? Why are you even looking for it? You pray, hope no one comes in that's demon-possessed. It's not a good and comfortable position to be in. But they pursued it because that's what they embraced. Because everybody around them was having a great time. You think they're having a great time. It continues here. Look at what, how God now reacts to them based on how they, Israel responded to what this truth is. Look at, look at all God's goodness and bringing them into the promised land. That you saw how they responded. Now look at God's reaction. And when the Lord saw it. He spurned them because of the provocation. 
of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them, and I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. He's, he's saying, you're showing no faith in me. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. You want to provoke God? Go do things that are not of God. They have moved me to anger for their foolish idols. The things you start chasing after and your priorities of life, go ahead, you do that. You're bringing a movement of anger here. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. Oh yeah, God's going to start doing things and blessing people outside of their nation. It's going to be for others. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. You know who that foolish nation is? You and me. It's us, the Gentiles. He's going to raise them up. For a fire is kindled by my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters on them. Who heaps the disasters on his, the, his people? God himself. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. And I will also send against them the teeth of beasts. He can control his, he, he can control his creation, these beasts, to go after them. With the poison of the serpents of the dust, the sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within for the young man and virgin. The nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our, right, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done all of this. So when we see here, he hides my face. My, capital M, hides my face, God's face. God's people forsake him. He withdrew the intimacy of his presence from them. You start chasing after the things of darkness, the things of this world, and you're going to sense, you will not sense his presence in your life. You will not. At first, this is sometimes seems to be as a relief. Because there's no conviction, there's no nothing. You're just kind of, you just got to just keep plugging away and doing these things of this world. Because the conviction is not really great, you're able to deal with that conviction and kind of let it slide aside so you continue to pursue this darkness, God says here. But wait. Just because you're not feeling this really heavy hand of God's conviction on you, Israel, you're going to eventually going to feel the darkness and desperation is going to start setting in. It's only a matter of time because I'm not. I've turned my face from you. Oh, you'll feel it. It's only a matter of time. And when I do, you'll sense, why? The heap of disasters upon them. When God starts hiding his face and, 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 and starts drawing away, it's supposed to lead people to God's people into repentance. 
Because he's going to bring his hand of correction upon his people. And allow calamity to bring the attention to his people. To God to get their shake their tree a little bit so that they're starting to look up and start looking to God again and to pursue and repent and go back to God. And many will say at the very end of these verses in 27 there, lest they should say, our hand is high. Uh, we're a mighty nation. Of course we took over the nation of Israel. Of course we're going to rule God's people because look at this nation. We're a great nation. Name the nation. It happens till today. Many nations still think they're going to just conquer Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth. Like, no big deal. And they're, because they were winning and because God's people were in captivity, because they were not winning wars, because God's hands were taken off and there was no protection there, look what happens. And the nation says, oh, our hand is high. It is not the Lord who has done this, all of this. No, God is saying, I'm the one who allowed you to be able to do this against my people. Because I've taken my hands off this and I have allowed something to come into their lives to get their attention, to draw them to repentance and come and follow me. That's what this song is about right there. That's God's reaction. He withdrew, withdrew from and then brought punishment upon Israel for their rebellion. Look what 28 for through 43, the Lord states, his case, it makes a plea to unto Israel. Now this is the call, this part of the song is now, here's the consequences, that's God's reaction, but now the Lord states, for they are a nation of void of counsel. They're obviously not getting good counsel because the decision they're making is so foolish and unwise. Nor is there any understanding in them. They're almost like, like hello, do you not understand what you're doing? Do you understand? Are you thinking before you do these things? But he's saying, there's any understanding in them. Or what they were wise, or that they were wise, that they understood this? That they would consider their latter end? No, underline that, the very important verse right there. That they would consider their latter end? How could one chase a thousand and two put to ten thousand to flight? Wait a minute. There's one time when Israel, one person could take out a thousand people. Now the things are reverse. They were such a strong nation, no one could conquer them. Now the enemy can come in with one person and wipe out a thousand or two thousand people. What happened? Unless their rock, capital R, had sold them. And the Lord had surrendered them. That's the only reason why the enemy can come in and take over and conquer the nation. is because the rock, the Lord, has said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to sell you. I'll get rid of you. I'll, I'll, I'll surrender you, them to you. That's the only reason why they're able to do that. For their rock is not like our rock. It's not like they had a mighty rock. God's is much mightier than anybody else. Even our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is the vine of Sodom and the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are the grapes of Gaul. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. <laughs> this is what they offer. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? 
Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. When will the the, the Lord come in and swoop in and show compassion to his people? When they finally come to the end of themselves. And there is no one remaining, bond or free, He will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand? For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I wet, which means sharpen, sharpen my, uh, sharpen my um, glittering sword, and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. And I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captive, captives from the heads of the, the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. So we see here in this part of the song that it can be remarkably effective to prevent backsliding. When God says, I'll just turn my face away, I'm going to take my hands off, I'm going to let the world just come in and try to devour them. I'm just going to let the darkness come flying, just put the weight on them. You you want your fill? God says, "Take, take your fill. But just remember, think of the latter end. Think what what the consequences will be if you continue to go down this path and you walk away from God. Look what's going to happen to you. It's not a it's not a if it will happen to you. It's it's only when it will happen to you. So think about your latter end before you make the decision to walk away from God. Think of think think about your latter end with the consequences if you go back and start living like the world and going against the God's God's word. You, Think about these things before you make that decision. When we're in a backsidden slate, we should consider where it will lead us. And we see it very clearly in the scripture here. That God has the ability to take life and to give life, to take life, a wound life, and to heal a life. And he does it all for the benefit of trying to bring his people back to him. And we are in a backsliding slate. We should also see the p- compassion of God that we will receive if we will repent and turn back. He will show compassion. It says here, He will provide an atonement at one minute to bring back to a closeness with Him for His people. 
And he'll take care of the Avengers. He'll take care of the enemies. He'll take the adversaries. He'll take care of that if you will just come back to him. And he says, there's no God besides me. He's the one and no true God. There is no other gods. These are just false, made-up things that man does to, to, so that they don't have to be accountable to God. But when we are in a backslidden state, we should see the greatness of God. Because a bad, backslidden man needs to know more of God's character and nature. That's what will restore him, is to come back and to know the true and living God that they serve. Who died for them. Who brought them out of the desert. Provided for them miraculously. Changed their lives incredibly. Brought them out of bondage of Egypt. Brought them through enemy after enemy after enemy and unbelievable situations of, of hunger and thirst and all these things. And God provided miraculously. And all of that, and bringing you with the promise of the promised land with the flowing of milk and honey and all oh, the, the abundancy. And all you could think about is just getting fat from what God was giving you and just get obese and all the taking ins of what God was just pouring and blessing in your life and restoring and giving you more and above and beyond what you deserve or even, even think about you should even have. And then you turn on him? And walk away like it's okay. I got my feelings. I'm going to live like this the rest of my life. And God's like, you know, that's not how it works. You walk away from the spout of blessing. You're no longer blessed. And so, in my time, you're going down. So now Moses here in verse 44 and 47 encourages the people. He says, "So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, the new leader." That's going to be, and spoke all the words of the song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing, futile thing for you, because it is your life. By this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You follow God, there's a promised land and all the blessings. You walk away from God, you are going to lose everything. And it's not a small thing here. One of the greatest lies that Satan tells people. That it's a futile thing. To serve God. It's no big deal. Take it, no, no big deal. You can obey his word, but you don't have to obey his word. You can live wherever you want to live, you can live there. It's, it's, it's a futile thing. It's no big deal. Why do you make it such a big deal? And so many lies have creeped into the churches today. You don't have to read the word of God, it's no big deal. Just come for the experience. Just come and just, just get the, the goosebumps and just let's get the smoke going and let's get the beat going and let's just let's make get you really emotionally stirred up so you have an experience. But the word of God is no big deal. It's futile. God loves. God is a God of love. You don't have to obey the word of God. It's a God of love. You don't have to be obedient. You don't have to follow him. You don't have to worship him. You just do whatever you want to do whenever you feel like it. 
But that's the trick of the lie of the enemy. And so many times you look out in people's lives and sometimes it seems like those who are against God prosper more than God's people. Wow. My buddies are really having a great time. I'm really missing out on this thing. Look at what they're experiencing. I don't get any of that fun. And the enemy creeps into your head. But you need to understand and see something. You need to have an eternal perspective on what you're, how you're living today. And how you look at it for those who are for God versus who are against God from an eternal perspective. And you'll understand that this thing of following God is not a futile thing. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing to love and obey God. It is in a very, it's your life, it's your importance, it's your eternity. Oh, how it reminded me this week of how moms and dads, lots of things we, we, we used to, you know, make decisions as uh, parents as with your children and your kids. And, 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 and you just, you look back and say, was I spending time with my kids? Was it just empty and vain time? It was like no futile, it was no purpose, there's no, and we look back and I'm sitting there pondering and going, I never regretted, never have regretted taking our two girls and raising them up and making sure they were always around the things of God. That they knew His Word, that He knew His people, they knew His ways, they knew how to serve God and get around people, the good and the bad and all the things. I never isolated them. I never once said, you know, I don't think we need to go to church today. Let's go bowling. Never. Oh, Sports. It's more important they go to sports so that they can get some, some kind of way of possibly getting a degree uh, or a, a paid way to go to college. And so we're going to immerse them every Sunday. They don't need to go to church at a time. It's no big deal. But going to sports, that's important to us. They don't need to go to, around God's people. They don't need to hear, hear God's word. They don't need to serve God. They don't, can just come and low. They, they have to make their own choices. Never. Did we make those decisions? For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was our verse. That is what we stuck to. And everything else revolved around that. And it didn't matter to me or to Kathleen and I what everyone else was doing. That was between them and the Lord. But for me and my house, we were going to serve the Lord. That was it. Because our kids were not going to be gobbled up by this world. Because they didn't know the word and they didn't understand the value of knowing who God is in his word. And we didn't isolate them. We made sure they saw life and how if you do it God's way, it was a blessing. If you watch other people's lives and they didn't do it God's way, it was absolute destruction. And we wanted them to see it as clear as can be. And I can go back and I can ponder on this week going, there's nothing there. I will sit there and go, I want to go bowling. I want to play video games. I want to do sports. I want to go there and I'm going to climb another mountain. I want to do this. I'm going to have them to see the world and all these things that you can get wrapped up and nowhere in there is God. Nowhere. No, 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 no word of God. No going around God's people. No sitting there serving God. No, no, no. You're just living life. 
But what is the warning in our scripture says at the very end when God's uh, rapture is coming soon is the fact that they'll just be, the people will just be, you know, eating and marrying and having children and just living life like a no big deal that God's coming back. And that's speaking to the believers in the church is what that warning was. And you wonder why a great falling away will take place. Because they're just living like the world and not living after God. And they're going to get gobbled up. And finally, we see in verse 48 through 52, God's final command to Moses. He says, then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, go up this mountain of the Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho, view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die, and die, and die in the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh. Okay, God, you had to remind me of that reason why I'm not going to go there. And in the wilderness of Zen, because you did not hollow me in the midst of the children of Israel, yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. So I read that as like, okay, Moses finished well. He did everything that God asked him to do. <laughs> He's finishing well. He even had to write a song to the people because they're going to rebel because he was going to help them in the future to bring that song to bring them back to God. It's, so he's sitting there, and then God says, okay, I have last words. Congratulations. You did, your great, you did exactly what I wanted. Now climb a mountain. When you get up there, you're going to die. And let me remind you why you're going to die. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, was Moses sitting there going, God, please give me one more chance. Let me get, go into the promised land. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to take you up there, and I'm going to let you see what the people is going to go possess. I want you to see it. They're going to see, he's going to see it. But if you ponder on this, think about this. When you really sit there in the word of God, and even through, was not allowed to cross into the Jordan, into the promised land, but the fact that he could view the land of Canaan before all the other people, they could see the land that God said, this is where it's going to be, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, all the way up to Dan, all the way down here, over to the... He got to see it. But then you have to stop and think. Some people say, that's just not fair. What? God is always fair. How can you say it's not fair? Then you're telling me that God's not a fair God. He's not a just God. He's not... But think about this. While Moses did not enter the promised land with the children of Israel, he did, in fact, go into the promised land. Do you know when? Matthew 17. When Jesus is about to, in his transfiguration on Mount Hermon and going up into heaven, who was with Jesus at that Mount Hermon? Moses. God said, you may not go in now, but you're going to be standing with me when I ascend into heaven. It's, you're going to, you're, God showed him such grace and hosted him personally before he ascended into heaven, right in the promised land on Mount Hermon. You've got to know the whole story. 
in the full story of how God is such a grace-giving, loving, compassionate, faithful God that we serve. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. What a blessing, Lord, to, to be able to ponder in your word here as we continue, as we're finishing up soon and very soon in the book of Deuteronomy, Lord. We're looking forward to the finishing of this letter, finishing of the law, the five books, Lord. Oh, we can't wait to finish off here these last couple of chapters, Lord, Lord willing. But we thank you for this evening and speaking to our hearts of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.